Every chess master was once a beginner. A quote from Irving Chernev, who was probably also talking about StarCraft II. Welcome to Triple Click, where we bring the games to you. We bring on special guest Ben Hansen from MinMax to help us answer your burning questions about which games we wish we played better, which old games still hold up, and so much more. I'm Maddie Myers. I'm Jason Shire. And I'm Kirk Hamilton. And together we are Triple Click. That's, <laughs> that's what we combine to Our form. Our powers combine click, click, click. to form yes. Triple Captain Click. Captain Triple Click. More powerful than you can possibly imagine. We are Triple Click. Thank you for being a listener of Triple Click. And if you are a member of Maximum Fun, thank you as well. Just like we usually do at the beginning of the show, a quick reminder that if you would like to support us making this show and to hear the Beans cast that we have recorded and will record in the future, go to MaximumFun.org slash join to become a member and for real our thanks to everyone who's become a <laughs> yes. member but enough of this preamble we have a very special uh, special guest today so jason why don't you uh, tell us more about that yeah so for the second time in our show's history we are bringing on a guest the one and only ben hansen who is a hey. former video hey. producer for game informer <laughs> and the current co-founder of Min Max. Ben, hello. Welcome to the show. Hello, hello. Thank you for having me. It's an honor to be here. Yeah, you all were on the Min Max show. That's we right. were launched this podcast. So let's catch up. How have things been going? What have you guys been doing? Just playing video games mostly. Okay, <laughs> same here. Weird. We're we're yeah, I mean, we we haven't been able to leave our apartments, so that's right. that's a thing. Um but actually, Ben, our some of our listeners might not know Min Max. So before we even get into the episode, do you want to talk a little bit about what your show is? and what you kind of bring to the table as a compliment to Triple Click? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah, so like you mentioned, I was a video producer at Game Reformer for nine years, going back to, to 2010, and then last year left uh, to form MinMax with some other folks that had been let go of Game Informer. And so we have a channel and a podcast network and a Patreon that we say is about games, friends, and getting better. That Aww. is our simple summary. So the main so show is lovely. the MinMax show. Um, but I think, like... The growing thing that's kind of becoming the thing we're known for is uh, our huge game club discussions that are called The Deepest Dive, uh, mm, where mm-hmm. we play through a game, we break it up into chunks, and then we also obviously encourage the community to play along with us, right. and then just take hundreds and hundreds of comments from the community, boil it down to the best of the best, and then just have absurdly long, but I think genuinely really good and really fun conversations about games. So, like My favorite is probably... The Final Fantasy VII Remake, Deepest uh-huh. Dive, where we talked mm-hmm. about that game for 14 hours, and I still <laughs> feel like I need to talk about it more. Amazing. Um, yeah, but we also did, you know, Chrono Trigger, uh, The Last of Us Part Two. We just finished Halo 1, and then oh. next week, we're launching Super Mario 64 with uh, oh. Dan Reichert and Ana Diaz, and then oh, nice. my friend Amazing. Ronnie from middle school. So it'll be a fun collection of folks. Oh, that's great. Oh, oh that's fantastic. What a fun idea. And people can find you guys at, of course, youtube.com slash minmax. Two ends, is that correct? Uh, so close. Minmax show. It Min has Max to be show. on YouTube. Ah. Yep. You guys yep. can but snag the Minmax uh, just on its own or what? It's really strange. No, I really thought it'd be, you know, wide open, but it turns out there are a lot of people just sitting on Minmax with two wow. ends on every Messed social up. network. But Minmax <laughs> show is the place to be. But okay, yeah, Min it Max works show. out. Well, Ben, thank you so much for being here. Oh, also, I should say, fantastic interviewer. I've listened to a few of your one-on-one interviews, and they are excellent, so people should go check them out. You just did one with Sid Meier. Yeah. Um, So, Ben, uh, we are going to take some 
listener questions today. Today we're doing a segment called Burning Questions, where we open up the listener mailbag and read a couple of listener questions. So just a reminder for everyone. We just read to... the questions. We don't answer yeah. them. We don't yeah, answer we them. Just we read just them. read them. We don't even and talk then we about leave. them. We just leave Great them in question. the evening. Great question. No, yeah. we will, of course, be answering them. Um, just a reminder to to reach us, to send us questions or whatever else, fan fiction, anything else you want. You can reach yeah, us where's at... the fanfic, folks? Why yeah, really? Sending like... in your Mario Luigi fix. We're going to regret making this joke. I'm just telling you. <laughs> Triple click at MaximumFun.org is how to reach us. All right, let's get on with it, shall we? Um, Maddie, why don't you start us off with this first question from Andrew. Sure. Andrew writes, what games do you wish you were better at? I ask because I recently played Warzone with some friends. I really like Infinity Ward's take on the Battle Royale battle royale genre but it turns out i still suck at twitchy shooter games after years of trying out call of duty i've resigned myself to the fact that i'll likely never be good at these games Mm. ben why don't you as our honor guest ben why don't you go first oh man i have to claim to be bad at games first um Uh it's basically (laughs) everything my first instinct was starcraft 2 so i could have a rematch with jason because the last time we played it did not go well yeah Yeah, that happens that happens when you play jason i've heard i've heard tell jason's prowess this is why i will never play jason so that i preserve the the allure of my potential starcraft stay away maddie stay away (laughs) no but that's a good Good answer. StarCraft is a good one. To well, get that's that's at. not the real answer. That, that oh, was the just, real answer. That was the nostalgic one. So the real one is uh, Puzzle Fighter, which is mm. a game that I have, had, I have ignored <laughs> somehow my entire life. I don't know what was wrong with me. And then just this summer, I have like a a main cabinet out at like you know our lake place, our family's lake place in Minnesota. Um, and just this summer, I have gotten so into Puzzle Fighter. And part of it is that my girlfriend loves playing uh, puzzle games, and so like just hitting every great competitive puzzle game available on a you know a main machine has been so much fun and then puzzle fighter has just risen to the top where i think at this point it's my favorite arcade game of all time just huge swings back and forth it's so much fun but it's so frustrating because i just cannot win i maybe i'm maybe like 20 percent if i'm lucky for wins here and do you all have that where you love a puzzle game but just you aren't seeing the patterns. It's just not clicking for you. And it's so frustrating because it's clearly working for other people. And there are other games like Tetris I'm pretty good at, even like Money Puzzle Exchanger, stuff like that I'm pretty solid at. But for some reason, Puzzle Fighter, my brain just can't see the patterns. And it's driving me insane after an entire summer (laughs) playing it all the time. Yeah, I have that sometimes with Tetris, I think, where I'm good at it. Then I'll look at like Paul Tomeo, for example. Yeah, that's who I was thinking of as well. So all, yeah. We're all ex-Kotaku people. He was at Kotaku as well. And um, he's amazing at Tetris. And I, watching him play, I realized how fun that game probably is if you've taken the time to master it, which I have not. There's like, I'm, I'm okay, but there's some missing like synapse connection that happens when you're really good. So that's There's like an extra echelon that Paul has unlocked. I feel like I thought I was pretty good at Tetris after playing it so much as a kid. And then watching Paul play, I was like, oh, I've... I've never been good at Tetris, it turns out. I've never even been close to good at Tetris, and I was wrong all along. And it's people like Paul, who played the Tetris Battle Royale game and was like instantly hitting number ones every single hour of the day on day one. And the rest of us were like, oh, Tetris 99 is pretty hard. And Paul was like, it's honestly too easy and it's boring to me. And I was just like, 
damn, dude, I, I wish I could be that good at Tetris. <laughs> I used to get similarly frustrated with Dr. Mario back yeah. in the day, mm. Ben. That, I remember that game being frustrating because it seemed so simple, but I could never quite get the hang of like when I needed to line up what and the timer. The timer is what really threw me. Not even It's less of a timer and more that the speed of it coming down becomes mm-hmm. this kind of like de facto timer. So that was that was frustrating for me. Um, yeah. yeah well, what about everybody else? What are some games, Kirk, what are, what are some games you wish you were better at? So I have been thinking about this question, and I have a lot of different possible answers, I guess. <laughs> so first of all, a process question about this, about this mm, like world where we can become better at a game. Like what I'm a little gotta, curious. We got to get into the meta aspect. <laughs> yeah, of this, I want to discuss the premise a little bit because if you could, if I could just be magically better at a game, that would mean that I sort of bypass the process of becoming good at the game. Oh, is that, and, if that's the question, I'm also changing my answer because that's like well, a whole other fantasy. It doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be, right? Like there are a variety of different possible answers. I'm sort of thinking with so some this games... Is, the premise of this question is that you've played something for years, but you still can't get better at it. So it's not like you instantly do it. It's like something in mm. your brain, the block is removed. Like Ben. Ben's right. example was perfect because he's played a ton okay. of Puzzle Fighter. Like the, the, the premise is, yeah, like Andrew says he's played years of Call of Duty and just resign himself to the fact that he can't get good at it. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know. Like, Because so, I guess it, it ties in with my answers because one is um, really difficult platformers. Like mm-hmm. Spelunky 2 is coming out. I was never yes. that great at Spelunky 1. So I want to. I, I was thinking that would be an easy answer, right? And this goes back to this premise question because I think for me the premise remains a little thorny because... I want to be good at Spelunky so I can play Spelunky 2. I've even seen reviews describe it as designed for people who were good at the first game to kind of subvert their expectations. I'm sure that if you haven't played the first game, you'd still like the sequel. But, I mean, I played a lot of Hollow Knight and did really well at that game, and that game is extremely difficult. So it's not that I'm not good at difficult platformers. It's just that I haven't put in the hundreds of hours to get good at Spelunky. And the thing is, if I could just be magically good at Spelunky... Like, if I could just bypass that and get there, that's just how you get good at that kind of game, is you have to put in the amount of time, and that's the whole journey. Like, the reason that it's fun to be good at Bloodborne is because you spend all those hours getting good at Bloodborne. So for games like that, I think, um, I don't I don't know that I would actually make that my answer, because I would want to put in the time. However, I will say that fighting games, I just don't i'm not fast enough anymore i'm just too old and slow and my brain doesn't work well enough but it would be pretty fun that. if no i guess that's true maddie you would you would know better i than don't I. believe in it i don't anybody could learn how to do it you know but that's, that's true I continue guess. continue you could learn how to do it but you can't necessarily like, you have to have well i don't know i'll get into this when i talk about to get that. really really good right because it's similar to like you playing starcraft or getting good at that kind of a game so another answer could be crusader kings 3 because like i played some crusader kings it's very complicated and i it would be nice to just have an encyclopedic knowledge of how that game works so that i don't have to do all the learning that's required to get to where the game is fun but then i also will see people say no the fun is the failure and the learning so in the end my answer is going to be chess because i would love to just be amazing at chess because then i'd just be one of those really smart people who like knows everything about chess because that's a game like go and chess those two i almost picked go where like if you're super good at it it's just this extremely rewarding intellectual exercise so that's That's my answer i guess what would you do, though? You'd be out on the limb if you're really good at chess. I mean, yeah. you just set up at the park because none of your friends are going to want to play with you at that point. <laughs> yeah, that's a good uh, point. 
That's true. I think I would. You'd have to compete. Well, he hustles people. You you have to you play someone <laughs> and you play right. really poorly, and then mm-hmm. you're like, oh, you know what? Like next, let's try one more. Come on, we'll double or nothing. And like you double you hustle or people. Nothing on chips. Yeah, that's what you do. <laughs> you put ten dollars on the first one, and then you're like, come on, well, I'll put in another forty. Jason or something. is just describing his Starcraft hustle that he's about to, to <laughs> yeah, try to exactly. pull I on wish, me after this I wish call people ends. would, would it's gamble not on. Work. I think yeah, I would I would do that, or I would just play against AI and try to be like the guy who. Beats the super smart supercomputer at chess. One of those two things. Deep mind, yeah, yeah. yeah. That Maddie, fun. what's your answer? Oh boy, you know we've talked about StarCraft so much, and I think that might actually be my answer now that we've delineated mm. exactly It'd be what cool this to question be good at StarCraft. means. Yeah. I because train you I, at StarCraft. <laughs> ooh, that would be a fun series of Twitch videos. Maybe we'll do that. That, that could be, be fun. A um, thing to do. Yeah, I would be happy to. Oh, that would be StarCraft super fun. Bootcamp. Yeah, that would be really. So fun. part of why that's my answer is because. I agree with your parameters, Kirk, that a lot of the kinds of games that I've historically wanted to be better at are just about practice. And for me, right. in a lot of cases, I, like, I don't feel that I'm naturally good at games. Like I got good at Street Fighter because I practiced it for hundreds of hours every day for a really long time. And I don't feel like I ever unlocked that with StarCraft because I feel like there's another echelon to it that's beyond practice and is similar Mm -hmm. to chess where it's not just pattern recognition and knowing to do the right thing at the right time because you've figured out certain combos and you can recognize certain scenarios where you know what to do. StarCraft has this additional layer of planning and high concept strategy that I've just never been that great at and I think I could probably get better at it but I don't, I feel like there's something missing. I, I remember hitting a plateau with chess as well as a child where I, I like got pretty good at chess and then I just could never get any better than that certain yeah, level. Yeah, both games have the macro and the micro and you yes. have to kind of figure out. Let both. me ask, right. Jason, you might be able to answer this about StarCraft. This is just a theory and you'll know. But is that layer of knowledge that Maddie is talking about, is that partly if you have seen so much StarCraft and watched so much StarCraft over yeah. the years that you understand like the meta like the narrative almost of the competitive sport is that what it is that no, what it could be No in fact so the way I got good at StarCraft is back in the day in like 2010 when StarCraft 2 was in beta and I was first jumping into it I would watch uh, a video series called Day 9 Daily and this guy named Day 9 who's like this big StarCraft commentator he used to do StarCraft I think one of the first things of yours that I read was a profile of Day 9 that you wrote mm-hmm. for Eurogamer and Eurogamer oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah 1985 yeah, one of my favorite stories, yeah. And so, so uh, he made these videos where he would just break down all the basics of like how to get good at StarCraft, and that's how you learn. So it's not it's not something that like if you just brute forced hours and hours of StarCraft, you would not get better unless you like learned some certain tactics. Like you always have to be spending money. You have to do this. You have to do this. You have to learn build orders. All this basic stuff. But once you learn that, then it's like a, a door has been unlocked for you, and then the hours of practice will actually mean something because you'll have mm-hmm. a grasp on like the macro level of things in Starcraft what's interesting is that like you will win if you're like spending more money than your opponent and like the the data the battle to battle mechanics don't matter as much as like the high level things and like remembering like I have to be spending money constantly so that that's right and building your troops up I mean it's a numbers game in a very literal sense yeah right well spending money is building your troops. yeah yeah, it's the same exact thing so yeah so that's the 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 idea of like going in I'm gonna spend all my resources I'm never gonna have above X amount but I digress mm-hmm. a little bit, but but this is kind of relevant because my game is Super Smash Brothers, 
And that Ooh. is a game that I played mm. many, many hours of in college. We used to play 64 Smash constantly, mm-hmm. all the as time. As did I. As did and I. And I was like, I was <laughs> fine at it. I was decent. Like, I can beat if my casual friends come over, I can kick their asses anytime. Um, but, but like, I wasn't, I never made that leap. And I always wondered why that was. It just felt like hours and hours didn't really matter once you hit a certain point. And yeah, I always found that curious. It feels like there is a certain block that you need to remove in that game as well. Yeah. Ben, I'm Maybe curious. Do you have any is. thoughts on that? I'm curious to hear Ben's thoughts as a fighting game master over here. Oh, please, I'm not fighting game master. But I wonder, like, have you? is there a, the equivalent of a Day 9 for Smash? Because I would That's love to watch question. that. You know, that there's got to be some YouTuber out there. Too. If you know it, please tweet at me. I would love to know <laughs> who that is because I would love to take those courses. Yeah, yeah, that would be very yeah, cool. It's Maddie Myers' future career is fighting game YouTuber. <laughs> Not for just Smash. Teaching. Other <laughs> fighting games. For else. Street Fighter. His Street yeah. Fighter YouTuber, uh, YouTuber <sighs> tutorial maker. I feel like the way that I got better at that kind of thing was just playing a lot of different people at local events. Mm-hmm. Like, I think mm-hmm. that's the next stage is like getting beyond where you're just playing a fighting game at, at parties or like at, at the college dorm and just going right. to locals and playing in that environment and then hearing from people in person feedback on what I was doing wrong Interesting. and then using that immediately to improve there. You really can't beat that. I mean, it's why people talk about locals so much in the fighting game community because you're getting that hands-on lesson constantly and matches are short enough that you can actually quickly implement that, which I feel like is another reason why I w- could more easily see improvements there than in something like Starcraft where I'm like, I feel like I did 600 things wrong and like the next match is going to be completely different than this. So like who mm. freaking knows, yeah. <laughs> but mm-hmm. at least That's with fighting really games, sense. it's like you can change one thing and see a big difference. And I don't know that always yeah. worked better for my learning style. Do you think uh, Twitch chat could fill that void of actually hmm. going to competitive events? Do you because think- it's so pleasant and effective, <laughs> and it always <laughs> the feedback is always so good. Very and- constructive Twitch I feedback. Don't, you know, I, I assume you all have a nice community too. <laughs> you're right. You're right. The the triple click Twitch chat, of course. Yeah, we have a pretty chat. Actually, are very nice. That's yeah. true. Yeah, but um, you just stream Smash. I think people probably would have some decent pointers. Yeah, there'd be some dicks mm-hmm. thrown in there too, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> Which are decent yeah, pointers I, in a way. A lot of I mean, a lot of streamers <laughs> get better by doing just that crowdsourcing their tutorial, their their lessons. Um, cool. Let's get to the next question. Kirk, you want to read this one? Sure. This question comes from Paolo, who writes, First, I have to say I love the new format and how you guys are constantly experimenting with it. That's all. <laughs> he just wrote to say that he, he wow, loves it. Wow, that's the new it. Format. It was a short email. Damn right. Thanks, man. <laughs> Damn. Okay, no, he, he has a question as well he writes i recently played a little bit of black the original xbox game and man this game did not age well i remember my mind being blown by how good that game felt mechanically at the time but today it just feels clunky so here's my question what makes a timeless mechanic in a video game some mechanics like the super mario jump still feel good to play while others like shooting in black or even some design decisions such as game overs are super dated do you have any examples of mechanics that did or did not age well and ben i'm gonna throw it to you again because you're our guest you get to answer <laughs> oh, first well we all great. you get a bias time what to... we all think yeah <laughs> <laughs> i love that he brings it up he's like black not age well but it was just was it in the series s video i feel like i just saw black footage somewhere yep. and was like yeah yeah, yeah. Okay, they brought it up. Like, yeah finally you can funny. play black again yeah, exactly black <laughs> and it'll be Come on that's down. microsoft's <laughs> next gen pitch is play black again oh, whoopsie um yeah, originally I wanted to say, oh, just simplicity ages well. You know, I think of some of my favorite games of all time, Frequency and Amplitude from Harmonix on oh, PS2, yeah. where it's like, it's just mm-hmm. tight. There's not much that's going to age poorly other than, you know, delay input if you're playing on a new TV or something like that. But then I was thinking about something that's really satisfying, even from an older game. And it's not the simplest thing, but 
Okay, we all remember Peter Jackson's King Kong, the official game of the movie, right? Of course. <laughs> I mean, I played it like eight times. Just was playing it last week. Great yeah, game. perfect. Can't wait for that to be on Xbox. Yeah. <laughs> Same. There is a really satisfying move that you do 1,000 times in that game where you just hold back a spear and then throw a spear at usually a centipede. And for some reason, throwing a spear in that game is so satisfying. Maybe it's just because you're punishing a centipede, but it's not really sure. the simplest thing. But something about just that tangible throwing of a spear in that game is just mwah, just perfect and so mm-hmm. you know not the tightest thing necessarily but it's still i think it's aged so well why is why is king kong throwing spears well no Are you, you play like a thing Jack. he does come on yeah, you're the oh, guy okay. right you're throwing spears at people king kong yeah. just king kong throws giant turds at people if, uh, Sek- <laughs> if sekiro is anything to go by anyways um this this question is is tough right what makes a good like something feel basically it's like what makes something feel good in a yeah. game right Especially over right, time. like simplicity is. I think that's a true. Like even though there are some more complex things, like Mario's jump is always held up as this example of this game from whatever so so many years ago that still feels great to play. And Mario's jump still basically feels the same as that jump in the first game. It's kind of a mix of uh, the game being responsive to you, not feeling slow, like you know running at a smooth frame rate and like having a quick response to your buttons. There's also the question of friction and like some sort of like, it's not just totally smooth input. You press the button and something immediately happens. Sometimes there's that, that kind of rub, that tension between what you're doing and what's happening on the screen that actually, I think animation plays a really big role in this, even though we think, oh, buttons and then actions on screen, the actions on screen have to be depicted in some way. And whether it's like the physical animation of like the wind up of someone, I'm thinking of like Kratos's animations in God of War, any of the God of Wars all the way back to the original, to just like the explosion that's sort of animated on screen when something blows up or when you hit something or grab something. Um, I think that that is also an important part of a good mechanic. Can you think mm. of a good animation? Something springs to mind for me, at least, and based Go ahead. on what you said. So. Yeah. I, this has been cited a ton of times, but I remember when the first Gears of War came out, that cover system of like locking mm. on to cover felt yeah. so satisfying to me. It's not the first example of a game doing that, but every game copied it for a few years after that because it just felt so good. And I think a lot of that was just the animation of Marcus Phoenix's shouldering the the cover, whatever it may be, and just satisfyingly popping onto it. I think some of that might've also been sound design, although it's been years since I played that game. But I, I do remember like, playing other console shooters at that time and just feeling like that one really stuck out to me as being satisfying and making it super clear when you were safe behind cover and when you weren't. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's still good. I, I remember replaying that game and thinking it was still pretty darn satisfying. I, I haven't played it like in 2020, but I played it a few years ago and still thought Yeah, that. yeah, the way they kind of slam into the walls. I'm thinking of yeah. one is uh, the downward slash in Hollow Knight is Ooh. really good. The animation on that with the nail and it's this sort of whoosh and they yeah. bounce off something and it just, you know, the the move feels great and the timing and the response is really good and it's an important move, but it's something in that animation. It's this sort of outward bounce that moves up that's very, very satisfying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a long history of downward like attacks in video yeah, Scrooge games. Scrooge McDuck. All the way back to the NES, yeah, and, and yeah. Zelda, Zelda 2 with Link's like downward sword slash. Oh yeah, that kind of Carrying forward to Smash 2 then was just yeah. the best move, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, fantastic in Smash. Uh, it's funny, I've been playing the Super Mario 3D All-Stars collection, which has Mario 64 and Sunshine and Galaxy, so this is very relevant. And I found that actually that Super Mario 64 has not aged super well for a variety oh, no. of reasons. I'll talk a little bit more about this later um, during One More Thing, but... Um, 
I have found that like the jump, the jump, the jump is fine, but something about the camera just feels off a little bit because obviously it was the first game to ever use a 3D camera, so it was not perfectly mastered back then, like in '96. <laughs> um, but uh, some parts of it just are, are feeling a little off to me, and it's it's a very sharp contrast to Super Mario Galaxy, where it feels like a game that could be released today. Like it's so smooth, and and everything feels fantastic and looks amazing. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, I think that the part of what kind of needs to uh, uh, be there for like a mechanic to work great is that it. Uh, the early 3D, 3D era, just, they did not, like, they, there were so many clunky things, so many weird camera angles or weird ways that mechanics would not respond the way that you wanted them to because everybody was playing around in this space. And I think that that's mm-hmm. one of the reasons that so many, like, NES and more so Super NES games have aged a lot better. And even if you just look at the Mario trajectory, like, if you go back and play Super Mario Brothers, the original, or Mario 2, Mario 3, Mario World, I think those jumps even feel better than like jumping in Mario 64 where something feels kind of like a little bit off something feels like like it, it he's a little too slippery he's a little bit too like imprecise in a way that isn't there in the older games I think that transition was just really rough on, on yep. game developers yeah, in general, the that. 2D to 3D yeah. transition Jose says my question is this what are some of the most memorable moments you've had in a video game that were a direct result of how the input commands elevated your experience as much as everyone craps on Quantic Dream some of my most memorable moments of input in video games were in heavy rain like when my uh, fingers were so contorted contorted around the controller mirroring my character's contorted body on screen as they hid etc etc so Ben, why don't you go first once again? What are some of the most memorable moments you've had in a video game that were a direct result of input commands? I feel bad going first, everybody. I feel like I'm going to take everybody's answers, but now the answer is Brothers of Tale of Two Sons, right? Uh, that's a really good answer. Oh, yeah. God. I haven't played that. Don't spoil it for me. Are oh, my God. Okay. I mean, I, you got to play it, Jason. I it's guess you can be my, vague it's about this. It's on my list. It's, it's on my to-do list. I haven't played it list. either. Maybe, maybe we oh should all play it. Oh, my God. It is something that, you would, that Jason and Maddie should both. Yeah, don't spoil but, um, it. I'm, I will not. I will not spoil anything. But it is basically input command the game. Uh, and yeah. It's just excellent. <laughs> yeah. And so you know, you're the controlling... whole game is a setup to this incredible thing that happens. And that's yeah. Right. I've heard. I heard that part. I think from you, Kirk. I think you yeah. told me those. It's a wonderful game. This is Brother yeah. as a Tales Two Sons. Just so that everybody. Knows. Um, is there anything? Does anything else come to mind that you can get into more in depth without spoiling, Ben? I think um, of you know probably because we just talked about Halo One for a long time for the deepest ooh. dive on MinMax, but uh, I think of playing Halo 1 with the claw, you know, like when we had mm-hmm. big LAN parties back in the day and everybody had their different play style and some people would insist like, oh, you got to play with the claws, so you can shoot, aim, and jump all at the same <laughs> uh-huh, time. Uh-huh, it was just a nightmare uh-huh. to hold uh-huh. the duke with the and claw. just destroy your wrists forever. Oh, yeah. 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 But it's a, a certain vibe to play Halo 1 that way, I think. Nice. <laughs> That's so funny. Um, I feel like you had to play certain games like that and it became the most frustrating thing. I mean, talk about mechanics that haven't aged well. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, what comes to mind? I'm gonna I'm gonna give my answer because uh, well, so I have two answers. One is is input command that did not work for me, and that is The Last of Us Two when you had to smash the button to torture what's her face, mm-hmm. and it was just like Nora. I don't want to be doing this, and yeah. the game is just like, well, you have to do it, and you're like, well, this sucks, and <laughs> think it about it though, Jason, not having <laughs> not having the effect that that the game wanted it to have. But the thing I always think about is is um, Metal Gear Solid, and there are a lot of examples yeah. of this in Metal Gear Solid. But the thing that comes 
comes to mind immediately is the microwave hallway in Metal Gear Solid 4. Ah, that was going to be one of mine. Iconic, iconic moment where Snake is just crawling through and just wrecking his uh, his body and soul and just good stuff. Good stuff. I love video games, though, just for the idea that you can say the combination of words microwave hallway and we're like, oh, powerful stuff, powerful stuff. Yeah. Really, though. Yeah. It really <laughs> is. <laughs> yeah. Idea, yeah. But I'm totally with you, man. It's amazing. Yeah. Well, to everyone out there who hasn't played Metal Gear Solid 4, it's essentially Snake has to get through this hallway that is like full of radio waves or whatever, microwave nuke waves, whatever it was, and you're watching his 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 health meter go down as you're like crawling through and it is very agonizing um and, and you're like hammering very, the x button right like you right, have to yeah kind of you're like, smashing it you gets harder smash. and harder as you're gonna you're just like oh my god go and it's like your your physical action is mirroring his his struggle and it's very justified and it feels very justified in the game because you've been watching snakes like like body wear down as he 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 gradually succumbs to the effects of this this uh this this thing in his body what is it like nanomachines or serum or something that is like making yeah, him age super know. fast. There's a vampire in that game. I don't know. Yeah, there's a lot of <laughs> lot of happens. nonsense. Kirk, what are your other answers other than other than Metal Gear Solid Four? That's a good one. Um, Heavy Rain, actually, for all that game's flaws, the sequence where you have to cut your finger off in that game is pretty incredible. Those are the, these are the things where, like, as much as people write off Quantic Dream games, there are always some moments like that, and that is an incredible uh-huh. moment. Uh-huh. Um, also, a few a, one that doesn't work is the really famous one of the press X to pay your respects, but it kind of worked <laughs> only because it's funny and it became a meme. And was something yeah, that, that one about actually is good. That one circled back good. around and it's good. Kinda good. Yeah. Now, having now been playing a Call of Duty game for our Beans cast, God, for the first time, serious. the best thing oh, about yeah. this one—this one I believe is from Advanced Warfare—and you press X to pay your respects, and then Kevin Spacey comes and talks to you for like five minutes. So oh, it's God. like just not Jesus. a game anyone wants oh, to play anymore. Boy. Yeah. So, uh, and the last one I will say that um, is an extremely memorable one for me is in Titanfall Two. And that is press X to time travel. Yes. And while I know that some of you have not played Titan- Titanfall 2, well, you're just going to have to. Press X to time travel is like one of the greatest prompts to ever come up on screen. And then That's leads so to <laughs> an extremely cool mechanic that then plays out over the course of the level in just this really, really amazing way. I don't know if you've played the uh, Crash 4 demo yet, but there is a level and there's like a new suit in Crash 4 where you're like oh, phasing different boxes in and out of existence yeah. and you're like on a rail on this one level and jumping through boxes and then like hitting the button to warp different boxes in and out of existence and it feels very Titanfall awesome. 2 inspired. It's very That sweet. stuff in the demo they were showing, I was like, ooh, I hope that this has that kind of stuff in it because it's so yeah. cool. Uh, so my answer is a little bit different. I was thinking about Super Metroid and how many times you walk forward. You're always thinking forward. about Super Metroid. I'm always thinking about it anyway. <laughs> but for this answer, I was also thinking about Super Metroid and how walking forward often triggers certain events to happen in that game like a thing skittering away out of sight for example which people Mm. usually cite this as just the good environmental design of that game but I think it helps set the mood of that game as well in that as you move around different events unfold that and just the pressure of a planet suddenly blowing up and you having to leave makes it feel like your inputs really matter Mm. even though they actually don't but as soon as a siren is going off and you have to jump out of an area it just feels like everything is suddenly a thousand times more difficult than it actually is but yeah the inputs are technically the same during all of those Mm. sequences that's good that's good yeah the uh the it's it's funny because so many games have tried to do this with QTEs over the yeah. years, um, including the most recent Marvel's Avengers game. Um, there are some okay QTEs some, in that game. When Hulk silly... kicks the guy, I enjoyed that QTE. 
<laughs> some silly QTEs. In yeah, it's game. mostly silly. Um, yes. But it's interesting because I feel like QTEs can be a good thing when they're earned and like feel memorable in some way and feel like have emotional weight as opposed to just like, uh oh, like Resident Evil 4, this guy's taking out a gun, you better press Y before he shoots you in the like face. Press um, square to move the boulder for like a thousand years or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Classic, classic Resident Evil buttons. One of the most memorable QTEs, and it's horrible, is from God of War 3 when you punch out a guy's eyes with the by clicking in the thumbsticks. Oh, what? he's like grabbing a no. guy's face, and then it's like, and you click the thumbsticks, and he's like, and it's just Jesus. the worst thing. Yeah, it's not, it's not okay. And I did it. I was like, I can't believe this is just and, awful. I mean, you know, you know, some designers just like, yeah, they were oh, so yeah. excited. Like, hell yeah, it. this rules. It does oh, not rule. I, I, it's I don't like love reminding it. me of the Dead Space Two one where you have to put the needle into your character's oh, own my eye, God. Oh. and you like all of, all that motion is is the just you worst. lowering the thumbstick. You the just worst. have to lower the thumbstick, yep. and it's like the worst thing you. I reviewed that game I think I reviewed it for paste and I liked I remember I doing I that and being like as well. how am I even doing this right now I don't know it was, <laughs> it was very upsetting effective effective though both yeah. undeniably effective at least in Prey when you stick something in your eye it happens automatically you right, have to press right. a button to I, make it Dead Space 2 was definitely doing it on purpose it was like you must lower the needle into your own you eye must and feel you must it. be there for like, all oh. of it this it is a, a horror game dare. enjoy the horror that was what was happening in voiceover throughout all of it. It was weird. It's a weird choice that they did that. Nice. God. Okay, so on that note, it is time to press X to say goodbye to Ben Hansen. <laughs> ben, thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks, man. Yeah. Um, people thanks can, of course, find me. you guys. Why don't you you do the plug and tell us where people can find you. Tell sure. I mean, just go you. and listen to the MinMax Show podcast yeah, and we'll kind of show. show you every path from there because we have a lot of different it's shows. Really Better good. Quest, Refresh, a lot of uh, fun content there. But yeah, just check out the MinMax Show and you can find the rest from there, I'd imagine, so find it wherever you get your favorite podcast cool any any highlight episodes that people should like get started on oh my gosh that's besides a- the one we're on obviously right the yeah one i we're think that has to be the most- crossover <laughs> That has to be it. I think that's the best starting spot. Otherwise, yeah, this week we'll be covering the PlayStation 5 Showcase, all that fun stuff. So it should be a a great time. Awesome. Okay, cool. Thank you so much, Ben. We are going to take a quick break, and then the three of us will be back with one more thing. Hi, my name is Graham Clark, and I'm one half of the podcast Stop Podcasting Yourself, a show that we've recorded for many, many years. And uh, at the moment, instead of being in person... We're recording remotely, and uh, you wouldn't even notice. You don't even notice the lag. That's right, Graham. And uh, the great thing about the, this... Go ahead. No, you go ahead. Okay. And, okay, go ahead. And you can listen to us uh, every week on MaximumFun.org. Or wherever you get your podcasts. Your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jared Hill, co-host of the brand new Maximum Fun podcast, Fan Time. And I'm Travel Anderson. I'm the other more fabulous co-host. And the reason you really should be tuning in. I feel the nausea rising. To be Fan is to be a big fan of something, but also have some challenging or anti-feelings toward it. Kind of like Kanye. We're all fans of Kanye. He's a musical genius, but like, you know. He thinks slavery is a choice. Or like the real housewives of Atlanta. Like, I love the drama, but do I want to see black women fighting each other on screen? Hell to We're tackling all of those complex and complicated conversations about the people, places, and things that we love. Even though they may not love us back. Fan time. Maximum fun. Podcast. 
And we are back. Thank you to Ben once again. Kirk, Maddie, it is time for one more thing. Maddie, why don't you go first? Sure. Because you are not talking about the thing you've been talking about for the past, like, 80 weeks. Wow, I was going to pretend that I was about to talk about Destiny 2, and you just, oh, you just, just ruined, ruined the joke. Ruined the joke. Uh, my apologies. It's true. I did, I did beat the raid. It all went great, but Ooh, it's congratulations. fine. We don't, we don't need to talk about that. Everybody knows what a raid in Destiny 2 is like, and if they don't know, they can listen to the past two weeks of episodes from Triple Click. I'm going to talk about Horizon Zero Dawn, which is a different video game that I've also been playing nice. for the very first time. So... This game is about a post-apocalyptic society of people who are plagued by a bunch of robot dinosaurs, and you play as the protagonist, Aloy, and she has a smartphone, basically. She finds a little device that makes it so that she can smartphone her way around the world and communicate with these robots and have protagonist superpowers, essentially, in, in in this society that is not technologically advanced. And in playing this game, I've been thinking a lot about that as a design choice, as a narrative choice, and... It got me thinking about cargo cults. Do you two know what cargo cults are? I'm going to no. explain them if you do. I know what cargo shorts are. Yeah, I that's what, what I thought. Cults are. <laughs> I know what cargo okay. ships are. <laughs> yes, so, also true. So cargo cults are sort of like an urban legend. So I'll explain what the legend is and then I'll I'll nice. debunk them or okay. I'll try I'm to. learn something new today. So, yeah, so I... I read a bunch about cargo cults in part because I've been playing this game, so I've been thinking about them a lot. I've got some recommended reading, too. So cargo cults are this idea that just during World War II and and during various just world wars and wars around the country, around the world, where the United States has just put military bases in all kinds of places, there have been some islands in the South, South Pacific where people were used to seeing U.S. military forces around, just stationed there, bringing food, bringing radios, flying planes there, and just having their stuff there, having our stuff on these other islands. And there are some specific islands. There's one called Tana that is sort of well-known for having what we Westerners refer to as a cargo cult, which is the idea is that in the past, uh, but recent past, only a few decades ago, these cults of people sprung up where they would be making wooden versions of planes and wooden versions of uh, these U.S. military objects and putting them in certain places and imagining that if they did this ritual correctly, that Americans would come back and bring them food again or other other objects associated with, with Western life. And this is often cited by people as just this this cute story almost as like, oh, like they didn't understand this technology. And so when it disappeared, they tried to recreate this wooden version of it or this strange version of it and then Mm. wait for Americans to come back and bring them the real thing. But they didn't understand because they don't have phones and they don't have access to all this technology, Mm. et cetera, et cetera. Sounds a lot like Horizon Zero Dawn. It's very similar. And I, I think that this idea of cargo cults probably inspired this game. I don't know that for sure, I, but but it seems likely because this game posits this idea of people who are worshipping this, this technology without fully understanding it and also having no way to understand it because no one in this game is still alive who can explain it to them. But mm-hmm. there are all these audio logs of people from the far past, which is a version of our, in real life, far future 
And those recordings explain some things, but not that much. And if you're, you're a person living in this uh, completely different society, you'd have no context to understand it. And I've found it really weird in playing the game that Aloy is so much smarter than everybody else. And like, she finds this smartphone, basically, and she's, she's naturally very curious, which I see as a very innately human quality. Like, I find an object and I'm curious to learn more about it and like how does the tool work and what what's what's its deal and like Aloy's very relatable and a great character for that reason because I'm like well of course she would want to know more about the world around her but she's surrounded by these people who for some reason have no interest in learning more and <laughs> like all of them are completely closed-minded seemingly or at least almost all of them you meet a few characters who aren't but most of them are like I don't want to learn more about the technology around us. It's scary. It's mysterious. I don't want to know anything about it. And I think it's a misconception <laughs> about how mm. humans work. I do think it's an interesting story and an interesting idea for a game. And it's fun that Aloy has this human superpower. But um, in reading about cargo cults, I was kind of like, do people really do this? Like, do people just just look at this technology and not really investigate it? And I think the reductive answer to that is no, the human brain doesn't quite work that way and people usually do question those systems. And so I read this really cool, super long article called Who is John From? John From is the name of uh, a supposed US military guy slash perhaps fictional person who who supposedly went to this island of Tana and, and brought these things. And this this reporter, uh, Brooke Jarvis, went there and talked to a bunch of people who live there about what they think really happened and their perspective on it. And it's just, it's a cool article and it's a lot more complicated than you'd think because people are complicated and like the way that people have taken that story and reacted to it is weirder and more cool than you would think like it's not just oh we believe in this literal ritual it's like no this this character of john from now represents something to us about self-actualizing and figuring mm. out what we need to do to survive and like at this point it's about not necessarily rejecting western influence but like self-actualizing and we as westerners have just imposed this idea of that story onto people that like, hmm. oh, they're they're gonna love our technology. Like, I don't know. It just really opened hmm. up my mind. And I interesting. I like this game, but I'm also like, man, this story though, like I, I would like to tell it. I would like it if it were telling a slightly different story, but I huh. haven't beaten it yet. Well, so, so maybe... yeah, one thing I will say, um, and then I'll throw it to you, Kirk, in a second, but sure. one thing I will say is that the uh, notion of Aloy as smarter than everyone else is is kind of explained in the story. And I won't say more than that, but like, there's a reason that she seems to be so much more cognizant yeah, of everything. I mean, some of that is introduced pretty early on. Like, she sort of seems to be connected to a person who lived in the past through genetics. And like, that's a very chosen one, like sci-fi story. Like, oh, she has... I'm not saying it's not. Oh yeah, I'm not saying it's not. But it's A not... genetic relation to a person in the past. So yeah, therefore it's... she has this innate scientific curiosity that this scientist in the past had. And It's a little more than that, but yeah. Well, there's also the fact that, and this is, happens fairly early on that I've noticed in my replay, but it's it's kind of both, right? Like she is genetically related to this person from the past but also things unlock for her and open for her yeah. and she is given access to things because of her genetic 
code, code because yeah. the security right. systems are reading her genetic code. So there's this like there's in lore explanations for a lot of this stuff, even while the game is certainly exploring a lot of what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. And there's still this question of these very frustrating the Nora are very frustrating people oh, yeah. in a lot of ways. And it's like really though like even given all of the things that you will eventually learn and i will be fascinated to hear what you think about this if you finish it we maybe we should do a beans cast on this game because we it'd should be do fun. a beans cast about it it'd be really fun yeah um but yeah there there's still that question of like okay but even given all of the things that you wind up learning are true about this world you just kind of stopped there or like yeah. you know would you have kept going and it, it kind of raises a lot of these i questions. don't believe that really like i do believe aloy's motivation and i think she's well written for that reason because she's the character who's like come on let's let's keep questioning these, these things let's look into more of this like you're telling me this place is dangerous i'm gonna go there and find out about it but i'm like there should be some more characters here mm-hmm. who are also doing those things maybe the sequel will do a little bit more mm. of that oh but i'm, sh- I'm almost I, sure it will yeah. i just it's something that i think is very noticeable in playing the game mm-hmm. is how uncurious the rest of the characters are especially the Nora there are yeah. some of the other cultures are more I mean curious. yes and no like you get to Meridian or, or whatever it's called and there's like the Sun King and the way that people talk about religion there is still pretty odd and yeah I, don't I guess know, I'm it, talking it, more about the crafters I forget what they're called but like they're they're right their group is and then there more. are certain the merchants for example will be more curious about the world around them and will be like oh well I'm collecting objects from such and such and I I want to know more about this culture and I'm like well that's cool but well it- I think one one two to the game's uh one one point in the game's defense is that a lot of these things have been crystallized over hundreds of years in the current world's ethos so it's very possible like a lot of human tradition and culture comes from just like years and years of like oh that's how we did in the past that's how we did in the past so at a certain point if like some member of the Nora some founder of the Nora tribe like stumbled upon one of the cauldrons or something and was like oh my god like and got electrocuted and they were like this is cursed we can never do this we can never look at this we can never scrutinize this again and then it just became part of the oral tradition it, it is I, I mean you could see that sort of thing happening it's just like, yeah. like human humans can kind of create that sort of like their own mytho- mythos is like <laughs> Can you imagine like yeah. a human being in our world being granted like admin <laughs> privileges for the creation for the of world. the world, which is essentially what happens in Horizon Zero yeah, Dawn, and then be nice. telling us like, oh, actually, all these things that you thought you understood, you did, you don't understand at all. Like yeah. it's like all these. That'd things be very that you helpful, you actually. If It'd somebody nice could right please find a sure cool is. smartphone <laughs> buried in some rocks that was like a super yeah. cool smartphone, right? The God phone. Well, it would just <laughs> be like here is where uh, human beings irrevo- irrevocably fucked up the world. World and that is it. <laughs> and it's like over. then that's it. And that yeah, explains everything where we're at now. I guess I guess my last thought on it though is that a lot of our perception about how supposedly primitive societies operate is still through the lens of colonialism and like how those societies have been affected by colonialism. And this game isn't actually about colonialism. It's about a very, very far away society in the far, far future. And yet it is still based on our current preconceptions about right. how these societies look because it's, I mean, this, I can't think of a nice way to say this, but it's almost like the people making the game couldn't imagine something different than that. And so they're basing it on the societies we're familiar with from our own history because that's what we've got. But I'm kind of right. like, what would a society like this look like? I'm not sure if it would look like this. Well, but but concepts of like of human beings getting together, especially in religion, human beings forsaking sure. curiosity or like putting curiosity aside is, oh, yeah. is not I mean, we've a done clon- that before. Like that happens sometimes. Yeah, exactly. But- well, I don't 
don't think that's necessarily a colonialist thing. Like that's just like a, an innate human thing. Is but like to the find... way that the people are depicted, there's yeah. you can both look at the game and say the story here is explaining why things are this way and yet it is undeniable that the the tribal cultures and the way people dress and the way that they act are being drawn from history in ways that like are are definitely oh, yeah, arguably yeah, yeah, yeah. no that's not what i'm talking about that's not what I'm talking about. I'm yeah, talking no, entirely about the idea of like these humans who would not be curious about certain aspects of the world and not right. look into it. Right. I'm talking about right. what Maddie's that talking part about. Of it. But then when those two things overlap, though, I feel like that's where it becomes a problem. Right. The question of like Native American influences and like Native American kind of that colo- aspect of the colonialism, that's a whole nother topic. But what I'm talking about, so, so quick, quick anecdote is that in Judaism there is this um, prayer called Birkat Kohanim, and it's the prayer of the Kohens. The Kohens are like the spiritual leaders of Judaism, let's say. Um, and uh, in synagogue, like these people all put on their hoods, and everyone in the in the audience in the synagogue is supposed to turn away. And like the legend is that if you look at a kohen during this prayer, you go blind. You're blinded. And it always struck me as so funny. And like as a kid, I was like, oh my god, am I gonna go blind if I actually <laughs> turn around and look? But it's like very much a thing where like they want you to suppress your curiosity, and you can't go look, or else you'll turn blind. And a lot of religion is that way. You can't mix milk and meat, or else you won't go to heaven. You can't like you commit sins or else you in the afterlife you won't be able to do this thing so so i do think that is like a very innate part of humanity that has just been like it's it's natural that i think any any society would have some elements of that yeah i think that's true and i i think i'll probably have a better sense of what this game is trying to say about religion when i beat it but for now i'm like i wish this game had a more nuanced take on it because so far i'm about like 35 hours in, 48 hours in. So I'm pretty far into the game. And I'm like, a lot of the game is making religious people look kind of (laughs) naive. Okay, let's get through the rest of our one more things. Um, Mine, I'll I'll keep mine super quick. I've been playing a bunch of Super Mario 3D All-Stars. Really interesting. Um, I've only, I played a, a, a... a chunk of Mario 64, as I mentioned before, hasn't aged super well, in my opinion. I'm sure some people who feel nostalgic about it would disagree, but to me, Mario World, as an example, has aged much better. Um, just played a dash of sunshine, can't even talk about it. But I played a lot of Mario Galaxy, and like I said before, Mario Galaxy feels like like it could be released today as a Mario game, and it would still feel great. Like, I mean, it's about this to be game released is awesome. today as a Mario yeah, well, I mean, as a, as a, It could be released as a 2020 <laughs> game, and saying. like you wouldn't know the difference. It, it feels like very much like Odyssey and a lot of ways except for those pesky game overs which are really obsolete and i'm glad that odyssey did away with them but um but there's a lot of just like really good bite-sized levels and it's very much like the game you play before bed when you're like oh yeah one more i I could do one more one more one more and it's much better without those stupid motion controls although if you're playing in handle mode you have to use the touch screen for what you would use the wii pointer for the wiimote pointer for and that's kind of annoying but Mm. you get used to it and if if any like i would recommend this game almost for galaxy alone because galaxy is so good yeah i mean i'm gonna play galaxy and then sunshine and 64 is such a or like a good bonus as a result um but yeah i'll I'll play more sunshine and talk about it in the future hopefully but galaxy great game i love it not uh, galaxy 2 is even better and that was not included in this for some reason but galaxy 1 still great Kirk, what's your nice. one more thing? My one more thing is a game called Spiritfarer that I've been hearing good things about for a while. Including from our listeners, who a lot mm-hmm. of whom recommended that we play this. Yes. Um, and I've been playing it, and it is absolutely wonderful. It is a beautiful, fantastic game. 
that I love. So uh, yeah, that's that's mainly my one. <laughs> is more that thing. all you're gonna say? What is it? No, tell us more. of course I'll tell people what it is. So it is a uh, very much a tend and befriend game. This game is about tending to your crops and your little village on a boat and befriending lots of wonderful spirits who have become people who have become animals in the afterlife. You play as um, a young woman with a cat. Her name is Stella. The cat's name is Daffodil, and you have taken over for the sort of boat. The her- the, what's his name? Charon, I think is his name. The, the yeah. guy who takes you the to the afterlife. Yep. Mm-hmm. You've taken over for him at the very beginning of the game. He passes on and he gives you the oars and is like, you are now the spirit fairer. So you take spirits through the afterlife kind of to their final destination. So that's the game. You go around. That's the narrative. Anyways, as you go around and you find spirits and then you take them onto your boat, you have this big boat, and then carry them around and you have to kind of meet their needs and then eventually they go on to the afterlife. I've only played a few hours and the game is actually pretty meaty. There's kind of a lot to it. You're constantly updating and upgrading and customizing your boat. You build all of these structures on the boat and stack them on top of each other. It's all very pleasing. And you're, it's sort of a life sim meets like sim management game where each of you, the spirits on your ship, they get hungry, they need you know different types of attention or they have favors they need of you you're collecting resources all over the place the sims meets animal crossing you might say yeah but the the thing that makes this game so good is it's beautiful looking absolutely gorgeous the art is incredible it's so big-hearted and relaxing and just peaceful and i'm like living in hell world in portland oregon right now where there's just smoke outside i haven't been able to leave the house for a week it's been a nightmare um everybody here is like really suffering and it's super bad and i'm not gonna you know, whatever, bum our listeners out, but it really, really sucks. And playing this game has been really wonderful. It's been like kind of the only video game that I wanted to play. I didn't, I just downloaded it and started playing it. Um, and it's just totally beautiful. Like you, there's a dedicated input for hugging where you hug p- people and you have to hug all of them regularly to make them happy. Aww. And the mm-hmm. animations are so beautiful and all of the spirits of these big animals. So it's like a big deer and, it, and they're actually all related to you. Like the deer is, I think your sister and there's this big frog and he's your uncle. So they all know you and they talk about your life back when you were alive. And then you just hug them and it's these big hugs. And the whole game is just like really wonderful and um just relaxing and beautiful looking and it i don't know i gather it becomes incredible i know i'm gonna like cry a ton playing this game it's totally like one of those games but that it's gonna be worth it everybody who's finished it lots of people were in my twitter mentioned saving like oh my god like it's amazing to the end i think it's pretty long and uh it's just it's a fantastic game it's called spirit fair it's on pc it's also on consoles it's on switch i bet it's great on switch i'm playing it on pc but i would probably play this game on switch and there's also um co-op and i haven't played this with co-op but you can play at the same time like one person controls the cat and one person controls stella and it's just it's a wonderful game and i can't recommend it enough it's yeah i played a a little bit and it wasn't for me but i'm very much glad i'm glad that it is for you (laughs) just not my type of game i don't Uh know um i might i might uh give it to my wife because she might be more into it Mm. um cool well so yeah on that note that is the end of this week's episode kirk i hope that by this time next week the portland is is not on fire anymore yeah Um, that would be nice i hope that as well fingers crossed i guess fingers crossed indeed uh but yeah kirk maddie see you guys next time see you both next time bye Triple Click is produced by Jason Schreier, Maddie Myers, and me, Kirk Hamilton. I edited and mixed the show and also wrote our theme music. Our show art is by Tom DJ. 
Triple Click is a proud member of the Maximum Fun Podcast Network. And if you like our show, we hope you'll head over to MaximumFun.org slash join and consider becoming a member. Doing so helps support us and gets you access to an exclusive Triple Click episode each month. Find us online at TripleClickPodcast.com, on Twitter at TripleClickPod, and send email to TripleClick at MaximumFun.org. Thanks for listening. See you next time. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.